read a statement this past week from someone, and the comment was this, said, if we really remembered that people were considered priests, the priesthood of the believers is the term, then we might disciple people a little bit differently. And that really stuck with me because sometimes, and we just sang that in the song before this last one, a kingdom of priests. And so I'm not the only preacher in here. The elders are not the only spiritual leaders in here. Scripture says that you are a priest before God. You're a kingdom of priests. And so it really changes as I, this thought hit me, not exactly in that expression, but a few years ago that every believer in our church has the Holy Spirit. Every believer worldwide has the Holy Spirit. And so it kind of helps the pastor, the communicator of the word to relax a little bit because I don't have to work to make you get it. You should just get it. The Holy Spirit takes the word, the truth, and if you're a true believer who has the Holy Spirit, then the Spirit takes the word and makes it real and active in your life. And so I encourage you to open your heart and open your mind and to know that God is working on you. And don't, and we have the ability to discount it, dismiss the Spirit's work. We can be filled in the flesh, be in the flesh, walking in the flesh, and not respond. Please let your mind and your heart accept the word of truth that's being given and allow it to change your life and your heart. You're a priest, a kingdom priest. That's who you are in Christ. That was a little bonus material for the, that wasn't in my script here. I want to remind uh, everyone who's newer to Grace, the Intro to Grace class is next Sunday at 5 in our new staff house. If you come for any other reason, just come and see our new staff house, how amazing it is that somebody just gave to the ministry, okay? They just gave it to us. How awesome is that? And so I encourage you to be there at 5. It'll last about an hour. I'll have some fattening food, some snacks, some drinks. And so if you've never uh, been to Intro to Grace, even if you've been here for years, I encourage you to be part of that. I sent out uh, some emails. I didn't have everybody, couldn't remember everybody who's not been before. And so if you haven't been, come and say, I'll be there and let me know, or Michelle afterwards, and that'd be helpful. We're back in the book of Ephesians. And as I told you last week, we're not working verse by verse as we usually do through this book. I've taught through the book before. We're looking at various passages But the whole book is so amazing. And so I hope you've had a chance to sit down and just read it from beginning to end. What an incredible, incredible letter that Paul gives us. So rich and full of theology, but also full of just practical things. So Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to be reading just two verses here at the beginning, verses 7 and 8. Paul writes, Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Let's pray and we'll look at this passage. Father God, we thank you for your word that gives us truth, that moves our hearts, that stirs us. And God, we know that There are many, many people sitting in this room who are not going to hear you clearly today if they don't right off the bat just confess their sins to you, God. Confess that they've fallen short in in humility 
accept your word, knowing that they don't measure up, and that's why we have Jesus. And God, may today change us. As we sang in that last song, may we truly be a people who wake up and go and take your word to those around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Every year, we try to work through our mission statement, usually at the beginning of the ministry cycle, which is in August or September, and this is our mission statement. Now, there was days in my past early on where I didn't really think a whole lot of mission statements, honestly, because I thought they were like, oh, these are man-contrived things, and we just put on paper, and this doesn't represent everything that we believe, right? So we could put in a bunch of other stuff that we believe in that. We're, you know, we believe in the Trinity. Should the Trinity be there? We're gospel-centered. Should that be in there? So there's a lot of things that could be in a mission statement, but a mission statement has to be ruthlessly honest about what we're about, what our church is about. And our elders, when I interviewed for this job eight years ago or so, and I knew it from being youth pastor for many years, that our elders made it clear that this church was about discipleship, that we are a church who is about discipleship. And so Jeremy, Mitch, and myself began to craft this statement on a ministry retreat one year. We were actually on the way down there, and we finalized it and kind of put it in print, and we said, this really sums up who we are. We're helping each other know and follow Jesus. We talked about that week one. Helping each other know and follow Jesus. Why is that important? Because that's important because this is not top down. We help each other know and follow Jesus. And it's through our children's classes, through refuge, through fight club, through K-group. And these are our primary avenues where we help each other. And K-groups are the opportunities where we actually put people in such a proximity, closeness together, and say, here's your group of people that you're responsible for. And here's how you're going to live out your one another's of Scripture. Because you can't, you're, you're probably not going to have an option today to forgive somebody, all right? You're not going to have that ability to forgive somebody in this room because we come in, we do our thing, we go out. There's very little relational contact where you're going to rub somebody the wrong way or why does that person say that to me or why aren't they as friendly to me as they are that person? But in a K-group, you have an opportunity to live out the one another's of Scripture, to forgive one another, love one another, serve one another. All these one another's come into reality in our small groups. And that's why we promote K-groups. It's not so we can have another program, another night of the week for you to be busy doing something. It's literally so that you can be the church to one another through K-groups. And then Fight Club is an opportunity to even go one step deeper and really hold each other accountable, be in each other's lives in a way that you cannot do in a mixed company and a K-group. So those are the two primary avenues. And then last week we talked about not only do we help each other follow Jesus, but we help each other follow Jesus in our home, in our home. Because our children, I said this last week, they're our first audience, our first audience for the gospel. Yes, you have an audience at work or at school, but your first audience is right there in your home, and you cannot forsake your home. And so we all offer, offer a couple of different resources for that. Marriage mentoring is one that we've recently started up, and it's been so, so great. The people who went through this, and you saw a video last week, and we're trying to line up a few other ones to, to talk about why marriage mentoring was so 
big deal and important to them because it really is a chance for another couple to come alongside you and to really help speak truth in your life and hold you accountable and help you grow in some areas. So marriage mentoring. Also, Life Prep You. This morning, every year we do a parenting class. Every year we do a marriage class. And we have a class for men, family shepherds. It's amazing. It's awesome. I hope you'll be part of it next week and learn how you can be a spiritual leader in the home. So we know, help each other know and follow Jesus in our home. And then today we talk about making disciples in our city and in our world. We're taking Jesus to our city and to our world. And how do we do that? How do we do this mission that Jesus told us to do when he left? He said, look, go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the world and share the gospel. He said, I'm, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit to empower you to do this. So how do we do that? If you grew up in church like me, possibly Monday night was the night that we made disciples. We did evangelism, all right? That was Monday night visitation. And I realized as I got to be an adult why they picked Monday night, because the majority of people are home on a Monday night. Uh, and so that was the night when you went and knocked on doors and talked to people about Christ. And some people think, well, why did that go away? Well, you look around, even in a conservative neighborhood and culture like we have here in Bainbridge, that you know that people do not like to be dealt with at their home. They feel threatened and they're less receptive and sometimes even hostile to the fact that people are showing up, especially right during Monday Night Football, right? And you can't do that. So, so evangelism also was pretty much relegated to a program. It was, it was institutionalized, and so it was kind of upon the institution to carry out this idea of evangelism, of sharing Christ. And evangelism programs often don't feel very natural. If you've been a part of that, you would know what I'm talking about. A program just doesn't feel very natural. My youth pastor growing up, he, 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 we did sporadically would try to jump in and do these evangelistic programs. And I'm sure he got this out of a book or something, but he had this idea, and he had a name for it even. He's like, okay, we're going to, this kid who, who we know, he's not a Christian, and he lives at this house, and somebody told us, we're going to all show up at his house and just show him, like, the love of Jesus, all right? Great concept, right? But 20 kids piled into a 15-passenger van, show up at his house, and, like, he's out there washing his car, and, like, we come out, and we're like, and our youth pastor, of course, is doing all the talking because he's told us, we're, you guys talk too, but we're just standing here like this, you know, like we're embarrassed. This kid's going to see us at school the next day. And, and the youth pastor begins to talk and it's just super awkward, super embarrassing. And it was this idea that, you know, this program would make, it, uh, make Christians. But you think back through those of you who grew up in churches, how many people are actually sitting in the seat as a result of a visitation program that took place? There's definitely some. But I'm, I'm here to say it's probably not the most effective way to go about evangelism. So if I'm saying it's not the most effective way, then what's the most effective way? Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 through 8. Let's look at this again. Paul says, of this gospel, he said, I was made. I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. So he's made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so receiving God's grace, this is kind of the big idea. Receiving God's grace empowers us for evangelism, for disciple making. 
when we receive God's grace, that empowers us for making disciples. Let's talk about grace for a second. Grace is a pretty central theme in the Bible. It's such a big deal that we named our church Grace Church, right? By its nature, grace is always a gift. It's always free. Grace is free. It's favored towards someone who's unworthy. It's unmerited. It's never earned or deserved. It's, in fact, grace is about receiving good when we deserve the opposite, which is punishment. And it's difficult for us to truly comprehend grace in a, at a street level, honestly, because we don't see grace anywhere around us. Grace just doesn't exist outside of Jesus Christ. Think about it for a second, all right? We see mercy. How many of you have ever been pulled over by a police officer and got a warning instead of a ticket? Raise your hand, all right? Yeah, a lot of us, right? right? That was mercy. That was incredible. Incredible gesture. We were guilty. We deserved a ticket, and he let us off the hook. Has anyone ever, and we, we saw a lot of hands go up in here, all right? Has anybody ever been pulled over by a police officer? The officer walks up to your window and he says, I have to write you a ticket. Write you a ticket, hands it to you. You're like, oh, I was really hoping for a warning. And he says, hold on a second. Can I have that back? Sure, here you go. I had to write this, I'm required, but now I'm gonna pay this ticket for you. I'm going to pay it myself. And on top of that, the points that you would have received for this ticket on your license, I'm going to take those on myself as well. And by the way, can I go buy you lunch? Raise your hand if that's happened to you before. All right? Nothing even remotely close to that, right? Think about where grace is shown in life. You deserved punishment. You deserved wrath. But you did not get that, but you got even favor and greatness and goodness. And so to give you a succinct definition for grace, I love Jerry Bridges, how this is a great definition. It says, grace is God's free and unmerited favor shown to guilty sinners who deserve only judgment. Grace is God's free and unmerited favor shown to guilty sinners who deserve only judgment. And so you see mercy, but grace is rare that you see. Grace is God's given to us in Christ. Jesus died the death that we should have died. That's the essence of the gospel. He died in our place. He took our place. We deserve to die. Why? Because we're guilty. Our sin made us guilty. Jesus was perfect. He lived a perfect life. He was spotless, completely innocent. And so not only did he take our place and show us mercy by not giving us the punishment that we deserve, but on top of that, he gives us the very righteousness of Jesus. God gives us Jesus' righteousness. And that's why I said you're a kingdom of priests and the Holy Spirit is in you and that's got to wake you out of your slumber as Mitch read from Ephesians. Because something amazing happened in your life at salvation. You were moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Everything changed. You were given the very righteousness of Jesus. And I would say that if you really have no heart or desire to follow Jesus Christ, then there's probably an issue at the heart, the root of your salvation experience. Because there should be something motivating you to follow Christ, because he's given you his righteousness. So God is full of mercy, and God is full of grace. And it's really two sides of the same coin, and the coin's called God's love that he's given to us. So here's we need to be aware of. We think of salvation as God giving us this gift of grace, he gave us Jesus' righteousness. Now, 
all right, you're good. I've given you salvation. I've given you what you need to get you to the other side. Now I'm going to kind of let you alone to kind of run and do this Christian life on your own. We don't really say that, and we may not process that exactly the same way as I said it, but the reality is we live that way. We forget that the, that the grace that brought us salvation is the grace that enables us to minister and to serve. And that's what Paul says. He says, God's continuing to deliver his grace to his children. It isn't just so God can be content with our salvation and he leaves us alone until we get to heaven. He continues to deliver grace to us again and again and again. So Paul makes it clear that his ministry isn't about his ambition. It's not definitely about his qualifications. His sharing the gospel, look at the verse, it's, it's the gift of God's grace. And he says, I'm the very least. I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody telling the world about somebody. And that somebody is somebody big deal. And it's not about me because I'm the least deserving person. And so you know what I get from Paul for that and something that we need desperately to apply to our daily life? We need to daily admit our need for help. Daily admit our need for God's grace. Daily admit it. If Paul admits it and says, I'm the least, God's giving me this grace. He's pouring this grace out on me. He continues to pour this grace to serve and minister to other people. We need to be before God each day. In our prayers, instead of starting out, help Aunt Betty and help my kids at school, help them to make a good grade on this test, and help them to arrive safely. Instead of those things being the bulk of our prayer, our prayer should start out, and I've talked about this before, with just praying the gospel. God, thank you for your grace on me, undeserving sinner. God, you've lavished me with your love and your grace and your mercy. And I want to just sit in this moment each day, every day, and allow myself to just process the fact of what you've done on my behalf. And I'm just daily going to admit my need for help. That I got nothing today for anybody on my own qualifications, my own skills, even my own knowledge of the gospel. I need you because from start to end, salvation's God's anyways. And so we need him to intervene in the process. And so Paul says, verse 8, to me, even though I'm the least of the saints, this grace was just given to me for this ongoing ministry. And the thing is, it's not just for the Paul's of the world. It's not just for the elders and the pastors. It's for everyone. You know, one thing Paul typically does is he typically talks to the community in his letters. But look at this, these verses. Skip over one chapter, chapter 4, still in verses 7 and 8, but of chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Look what Paul says here. He says, but grace was given to each one of us. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Again, grace and gift, grace and gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he rose from the dead. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men and women. He gave gifts to us. And so grace is given to each one. So the second point I want to make today, believe that God is truly pouring out his grace on you. Believe that he's truly, honestly, Street level, pouring his grace out on you for the moments that you encounter each and every day. You see, we question 
God's grace in those moments. Do I have enough here? Do I, am I going to say the right thing? Am I going to have the courage to do this? And it's so much me, me, I, I focused. But when we admit our need for help daily, and when we recognize and remind ourselves again and again that God is truly pouring out his grace on us, then something happens. And we, get, we see that as Paul transitions from this communal way of talking to the body, he's talking specifically to individuals, each one of us. He's saying, you are the hands and feet of Jesus. You see, Jesus isn't going to come down to your office place and tell people about himself and tell the gospel. You're the hands and feet of Jesus. He's gifted you. He's the ultimate grace giver, and we receive that grace, and in turn, we become grace givers as well. We give grace. We're the means of grace to the people that we encounter each and every day. So we are to act out of God's grace toward us as we come in contact and build relationships with people in our city. That's our calling. I had an illustration laying over here on the side of the stage, and it mysteriously disappeared. I don't know where it went, but Ella Grace is going to bring me the one from on this side because I ran out and, and kind of worked up a secondary illustration. So if you took a big Tupperware box doing a favor, hey, this looks junky. That was my illustration. But it's all good because this will, this will be just as fine. So Ella Grace is going to bring this over because I want to illustrate this to you. Because I want you to remember this, because it's so important. Thank you so much. It's so important because while this isn't novel and it's not super deep, it's something that's so true I see in my own life and I see in your lives as well. We typically process and think this is the way that we receive grace and share grace. We think that as God pours out his grace into our lives, that as God fills our cup up, and you've even heard this, fill my cup, right? Fill my cup, Lord. And then we just kind of spill over, and then this spillover is what we give to those around us, those relationships, those people in our lives. And unfortunately, this spillover is, in my experience, with dealing with people and meeting with people, most of the time, that spillover is emotion, plain and simple. That we have to get emotional enough in order to spill over. And that's why, unfortunately, we say that worship is songs that we sing, when singing songs is just a form of worship, but it's sure not the only way that worship is expressed. Worship is expressed through meeting with God day by day, sitting in his presence, whether it feels like you're up here singing God a revival, or if you're down here, God, I'm reading your word, and man, I'm a little sleepy, and it's hard to wake up, and, uh, you know, I, but I, I know you're speaking to me in this moment, even though I don't feel it. And God begins to just fill you up. But if you wait, listen, if you wait for your cup to be filled up, it's not going to be filled up by emotion. You're not going to be charged up like maybe you are on Sunday morning when you come in here. I can't wait to get there. I love singing. You know, the word's good, but singing is my thing. Because you're emotion, so emotionally connected to it. And there's nothing wrong with emotion. But emotion's not going to sustain you tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. when you wake up to read your Bible. You're not going to hear the band playing 
and you're not going to be singing the chords and hearing them like you did today. So what should we do? I want you to think of your life more like a conduit. And a conduit is simply something that carries something from one point to another. And as God pours into you, and again, this is so basic, but as you open the word and you read the word, and as God pours into you, you just spill that out to people around you. If he shows you in his word of his sovereignty and his greatness that God can be trusted, and you don't feel super emotional about that, even though it's something that should charge us up and get us excited, I'm just going to share that with people I come in contact with today. I'm just going to allow other people to know that God's sovereign. And maybe you don't say, hey, excuse me to your waiter, God's sovereign. Did you know that? You might not word it that way because they're like, huh? What are you talking about? But God is great. Do you know that? God is great. Jesus is awesome. And you're spilling out to those around us. And none of us are very good at that. And oftentimes, we're not good at it because we focus on ourselves. Like, what will they think about me? What are they going to you know, see? You know, are they going to think I'm a religious nut? Oh, I'm, I need to process this relationship and build this relationship before I drop Jesus to them, right? And then we make up all, I do the same thing. We make up all these excuses in our head. And I, I told you this before, one of our fight clubs, we did this at lunch one day. We just felt like God was leading just to say to the waiter, hey, can we pray for you? We're going to get ready to pray. Can we pray for you? It was amazing. I mean, God began to work on that guy's life through that situation. And so you're a conduit. And so don't wait till you're emotionally charged up in order to share Christ. Just be the means of grace. And, and, and put yourself under the fountain of God pouring out his grace. So it's not just in your morning time with God and your morning prayer. It's also through K-groups. That's where God pours out. That's his means of grace to your life. And so he's pouring on you under this fountain that you stand under. Your, your, your fight club, your counsel with other people in the church. We talked about it in our class this morning from Titus. It's older men coming alongside the younger men. It's older ladies coming alongside the younger ladies. Those are fountains of grace that God gives, means of grace that God gives in the church. And he's pouring that out into your life. And so God's grace then gives us the ability to do what we're called to do, but there's no way that we could ever have done it on our own. God gives us the ability to do what he's called us to do, and he's empowered us to do. And so when our lives in Christ are healthy and growing, we are not only passionate about keeping sinking our roots down deep into him, but we're also eager to extend that goodness and that grace to other people in our lives. Rarely can I ever get through a sermon these days without quoting from New Morning Mercies. Just every day is just such a rich reminder of the gospel. And this one I came across a couple days ago, and if you're reading along, you hopefully noted this as well. He wrote, Paul Tripp wrote, he said, You are the look on Christ's face. You are the tones of his voice. You are the touch of his hands. You are the physical representative of his grace. That's what we are. No matter where we go and the situation we get put in, we are Christ 
to those people. Paul says, grace was given to each one of us. Not just me, not just Mitch, not just Sean Johnson. Grace was given to each one of us. And he says, and he gave gifts to men. What kind of gifts is he talking about here? In other passages, Paul adds to this list of gifts that he gives to us to help us be who he's called us to be. But in this particular passage in, here in chapter 4, he highlights the gifts of proclaiming the word of God. Look at verses 11 and 12. Skip down to verse 11 and 12. He says, And he gave some apostles, some prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So Paul highlights the role of those who proclaim and apply God's word because the word is central to spiritual growth. The word is central to spiritual growth. You cannot grow in Christ without the word. You cannot be what God has called you to be and minister the way God's called you to minister without a reliance on his word. And so he gave teachers, he gave elders, he gave evangelists, he gave people to give this word to impart this word, to teach this word, as I'm doing today, as your leaders do in K-groups. And this is to equip the saints, Paul says, for the work of ministry. So here's a challenge specifically to those who have the role of teaching. First of all, Scripture makes it clear, you're being held to a higher standard. So elders, leaders of K-groups, you're being held to a higher standard because God expects you to be his mouthpiece to those in your, under your responsibility. So if you're not passionately seeking him, if you're just going through the motions, you're hurting the church body and you're not equipping the saints for their work of ministry. You're hindering their growth and their outreach because you're unwilling to sit with God yourself and know his word. You may know it here, but you don't know it here. And so you're the means of grace. And so he says, I've given you the responsibility, leaders, teachers, as you teach, you've been given a gift. Now use this gift for what purpose? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Your leaders are training you up for ministry. They're not doing this so they can be better ministers. They're doing this to equip you for ministry. So when you go to your K-groups in a few weeks and you're sitting there in your circle around the living room and your teacher is beginning to teach the lesson and, and get discussion, their goal is to equip you so that you walk out of there and go and do ministry. You build up the body, you build up other believers, you make disciples. And so you grow. Obviously, you have a huge component of responsibility in that process. But your leaders have a responsibility to be equipping you for the work of the ministry. That's our job. That's our responsibility, to equip you for ministry in this, in this world. So think of it this way. Think about your, your spiritual leader, your person who's leading your K-group, your elder. Think about them kind of as the personal trainer and the word being the weights that are being lifted. And your trainer guides you and instructs you and equips you with the things that you need. And then the word does its work if you're willing to engage it. You engage the word. And so the trainer, how are you doing? 
Are you equipping people? Are you really putting your heart and soul into the responsibility that God has given you? Or are you allowing your preparation to be based on emotion? Well, I don't really feel it, and, you know, everybody knows this stuff anyway. So, yeah, I started off, you know, the first week we did great, but this week pretty busy, so I'm just going to cut corners. I encourage you, leaders, be serious in the Word. Be about the Word, and be that trainer. And the Word will do its work as the people engage through your leadership. So, your head today. You are called and you are equipped for ministry, every one of you. You're a kingdom of priests. God has equipped you and he's given you everything you need through Christ and through his word and through the church leadership, the people that he's given you as responsible for your spiritual development. It goes really well, Richard, with our lesson, right? The three-pronged stool. And God has given you everything. It's your move. How are you going to respond? Heart. Daily admit, like Paul, I'm the least. Was Paul really the least? Well, in his mind, in his heart, he was because he understood that God's grace was so amazing and without the gift of God's grace that he would spend eternity separated from God in hell. It's all Jesus. So I don't care if you're Mother Teresa or you're the guy who can't get it together and he's drunk on the street corner. They both equally need God's grace. And so daily admit the need for God's grace. Receiving God's ongoing grace empowers us to make disciples. The best way to share the love of Christ is through that natural overflow that comes as his love is poured into us and we're just a conduit, just pushing it through to the people around us. And now as, as a church body, I just want to close with this idea. And I haven't said much about this for a few years, and that's on me, bad leadership. But we started a program a few years back called Jesus Is. And like I said, programs are, you know, are programs until people actually engage and do something. But this is very much, I think, in the heart of, of what Grace Church is about, empowering you, equipping you for ministry. And this Jesus Is ministry was all about, and it was a great idea, but it has to be acted upon, is about you taking what you're passionate about and saying, you know what, the church could help me in this. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. And I go through this in Intro to Grace every time. Let's say, for instance, you have a real huge passion to do a coat drive for the homeless of our community. Just use an example. You, that's your passion. Here's what most people do. They go to me, the pastor, and they're like, hey, I really think it'd be a great idea for the church to do a coat drive. You know, there's a lot of homeless people out there, a lot of needy people. We need to do this, all right? Can you, can you take care of that? Can you do this? That's, that's usually, and then, oh, I'll help you if you need help. I mean, that's typically the way it feels for us as a staff. But God has equipped you to be a minister. That, that, that he's given you as much responsibility to fulfill ministry as he's given myself Jeremy, Mitch, our elders in here. And so here's the deal with the Jesus is ministry. That if you have a ministry that you're passionate about, the church will come alongside you and we'll fulfill some commitments to you if you commit to these other things that you're going to be doing as part of that ministry. That you're going to lead the ministry. That you're going to find an assistant to help you lead that ministry. And a few other things that are in the app that you can follow the link and see the form that we have there. And you say, okay, I really want to do this, and I would love the church to promote it. Okay, here's the deal. You do these things, the church will promote it. 
We'll put a video together for you. We'll help your passion to get coats for the homeless of our community. And so we're going to come alongside you in that. So the church is working together in this idea of evangelism. We're reaching out to our community, not just to give coats, but to give the gospel. And the coats are the avenue for the gospel. And so I encourage you, if you have a passion, don't say, man, my church just doesn't care about that. You know, they just, that's not a priority for them. No, there it is again. You're looking for top-down leadership, and God says, you're a minister. You're a kingdom of priests. God has given you an idea, and you want to bring in the church body. Obviously, you could do that on your own. But if you want a collaborative effort toward that, then there's an opportunity for you to come alongside us and us come alongside you to, to do those things. So I encourage you to run with your passion for ministry to really, really move on it. And if you would like the church's help to promote it and get other, others on board with it, I encourage you to use the link that's provided in the app. So humbly admit your need for grace. Know that God is continuing to pour out his grace. He's given you everything you need for life and godliness through Christ Jesus. He's giving you the Holy Spirit to fulfill this and live this out in your life. Now, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to grab the weight and start moving? Or are you going to say, well, there's the word, and there's my trainer, but I'm not so interested in it. It's your move. What are you going to do? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word that just reveals us and shows us that if we truly all would accept our responsibility to be priests for you and ministers for you, how much bigger impact we could make in Bainbridge, Georgia, and around this world. God, We know that we've been raised with a mindset that the professionals do the work, that the pastors do the work, and the people who are are in those positions do the work, and that's not from your word at all. And God, I pray that you'll allow us to live your word, to humbly be before you in your word, and allow your word to change us. God, for those who do have ministry passions and great ideas, God, I pray you will just encourage them to run with those things and fulfill their ministry to the city that they've been called to do, and if they desire for their church family to surround them, God, I pray that they'll make that known. And we love you, and we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your grace that's a gift to us that we don't deserve, and help us to be conduits of that grace this week. In Jesus' name, amen.